Hey everyone, this is Jason from the Bucko Cast, and I want to take a moment to let you know that you can help our show in so many ways. Uh, word of mouth is always the best, right? Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Tell a frenemy. Tell any variation of what people are in these days, I have no idea. But tell them. Um, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you hear our show. But the best and most direct way that you can help us is by supporting our GoFundMe. Uh, that's right, we've joined the ranks of those asking for help. Um, you can donate to us any amount, and the money will be used towards upgrading sound equipment and funding some live shows in the future. I'm going to put a link in the show notes uh, right in your podcast app. Just scroll down and look at the notes. We'll have a link there. Um, I'll also tweet it out. You can follow me at PGH and follow the show at the Cast, and I'll put a link there. If you want to, great. If not, eh, no big. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the BuckoCast. This is Jason Rolson back with you, hosting the show two weeks in a row. I'm actually here two weeks in a row. Can you believe it? And uh, live from KDKA Studios, we have Josh Taylor as well. Josh, how you doing? Doing all right. How you been? Pretty good. So let's get right into it because there's a lot to talk about in Pirate Land. Uh, we'll start with our leadoff. And here we are. Yet another slump out of the All-Star break. Who could have guessed this? So, Josh, we know what's happened. The club has gone 1-for-5. Could have gone 2-and-4, but got swept by the Cubs and, and had a chance to win the series against the Cardinals, but that fizzled late. But my question to you is, what tells us more about this club right now? The fact that they lost 5 out of 6 out of the break, or the way in which they lost it? And by that, I mean Lyles got bombed, Crick blew up, Luriana blew up, Williams was homer happy. So is it the way they lost, or, how, or that they lost, period? Oh, it was the way they lost. And last, our, our last show, my one last thing was specifically the fact that the pitching staff had to get better and had to be consistent in the second half. And that's exactly what did not happen in the first six games. It, it, makes, it makes all the sense in the world that it's, the, it's how the loss that sticks out. And here's the two things that, that should stick out to anybody listening to this. If we went into the second half of the season and you told me the three best starts of the second half, two of them would come from Chris Archer and the third would come from Dario Agrizal, I would have told you you're probably the happiest person in the world and you watch too much Pollyanna. Like, I would have told you <laughs> you were crazy. But that's the reality of it. And the two starts by Archer, they probably should have won both of those. So when you look at that, when Archer has, a half, has at least a half-decent start and the bullpen falls apart, and then... The other three losses were situations where the starting pitching just didn't get it done. It, it, that adds up. It all becomes an issue. So it's definitely the way they lost those games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we're talking about Chris Archer giving up one home run, and we're thinking, wow, this is good. He's back, right? And uh, Right. It, it felt like an improvement by comparison. Yes. and That's where we are. We're dying to see some improvement somewhere from the club. Uh, Josh Bell slumping, right, uh, in a manner of speaking, since the All-Star break for sure, although his July numbers are still pretty good. Um, Trevor Williams has kind of really fallen back down to earth, but he could not really be expected to maintain what he did in the second half last season. And you have Lyles, who is not what we th- thought he was. You know, hand up, that's me. Uh, I really was 
straining my elbow, patting myself on the back with that one, wasn't I? But um, yeah, post injury, he's not. He has not been the guy post injury that he was pre injury. Like there is a clear line of demarcation, and it is when that around the time when that hamstring injury happened. And since then, he has not been able to find consistency in his delivery and his release point, and the results just fall right in line with it. Yeah. So I mean. Josh, are we still thinking this offense is going to be able to pull them through? Because uh, obviously didn't score any runs on on Monday against uh, Miles McCollis. Uh, put up three against Quintana. You know their best uh, their best offensive output was yesterday, Wednesday, the uh, six to five eventual loss. Um, so are we seeing a stretch where, or I guess I should ask it this way: Can this pitching staff now? I think now we can really make some concrete. Uh, definitive conclusions about them. Can this pitching staff make up for those games or those stretches, those four or five games in a row where the offense is just pedestrian rather than so potent like we've seen? I don't know if they can. I, I, I have no evidence to believe that they can. I have no evidence to believe that this pitching staff is ready to carry an offense, much less complement one. It, it just, I haven't seen it. And there's no reason to expect it going forward when you don't have that kind of consistency, when you don't have that kind of reliability where you give a guy the ball and that guy goes out and he gives you the best game that he can. And if at the very least keeps you in the game, we haven't seen that enough. Or in the few times when he actually does, he hands it over and the bullpen can't hold a lead or they immediately tie the game and the bullpen gives the lead back. These are, these are things that cannot happen. The weird thing is, I, I have to use the Steelers analogy because it's the best thing that makes sense to me. Last season, throughout the course of the year, I heard different players talk about playing complementary football. And this was something that David DeCastro talked to me specifically about. He says, look, you know, when the defense is doing their job, we have to make their job easier by doing ours more, more consistently. You know, they get us the ball back with a turnover, we got to turn it into points. You know, they, they, we might have turned it over, they stopped the other team from scoring. They give it back to us. we got to get back to where we need to be. But it, it has to work together. You have to have both sides, both being able to do their job so the other one can flourish. And that's the biggest problem. The pitching has not been able to keep up with the offense. So when the offense even is flourishing on the run that it's been for the last two months, you know, we don't, here's one thing we don't talk about. We don't talk about the fact that this is one of the best hitting teams in the league. Pirates is one of the best batting averages in the National League. We barely talk about it because it's, it's really something – that gets overshadowed, and a lot of it, a lot of the reason why it gets overshadowed is because the inconsistency, the inconsistency of this pitching, and it doesn't complement it enough, especially not in the last four weeks. So when you have all those things adding up, it comes back to the same thing. It's you know, can, if you have a day where the offense isn't set and your pitching's not going to keep you in it, you're going to have that result like you did against St. Louis, and it's going to continue to add up and look the same over time. It's weird because you're exactly right. The Pirates are, as a team, are batting 269 right now, and that is tops in the National League. Uh, but you look at it, and they're bottom third, bottom five in, in war with 9.3 amongst their batters. And, of course, Josh Bell counts for I don't even know how much of that. Um, striking out at a good rate, 20%. That's also best in the league, 20.2%. But the power numbers aren't there aside from Bell and the occasional pop from Marte, of course, who we'll talk about a lot more today, I'm sure. But... So this tells me that this this team's offense definitely has some peaks and valleys to it. Uh, 96 WRC plus overall, and that also ranks. Let's see, that ranks uh, seventh in the 15 team National League. So not quite up there with the big boys yet. Uh, and when Josh Bell slumps, pack, yeah, and when Josh Bell slumps, maybe that's maybe this is what we're left with, right? 
pretty much you're left, you're left with Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds and Starling Marte hoping to carry the rest of the offense. Yeah. Because the rest of those guys, granted, yes, Colin Murray has contributed, Melky Cabrera has contributed, but and even to a degree, uh, Corey Dickerson has contributed. But there's only so much you can expect when you have those guys rotating in. None of those guys are playing every day. So you can't expect that, you can't expect them to do what those other four guys that we've already mentioned have done because they're not as consistent as contributors as the other guys are. Those are guys you see every day. They're going to do what they do. We can't expect part-time guys to carry the big parts of the offense if the main guys can't do it themselves. So I guess the question everyone really wants to know, and we've hinted around at this, I think one of our one of our past episodes was titled The Doomsday Clock, and I guess it feels like a good time to ask this. Uh, right after the All-Star break, we kept pointing to this stretch of games as the most pivotal in the season for the Pirates. After these first seven games of that stretch, six games, excuse me, are we closer to the Pirates committing to selling? Can the team buy Neil Huntington any more time over the next week, the next homestand that's coming up? Um, if we're still using the doomsday clock analogy, it's about 1045 for me. It's, it's not looking very good. Um, I don't know if they can buy time. And the only way they can buy time is it has to be with the guys they have right now. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be able to go the next couple weeks and say, oh, wait a minute, we're, we're what, four or five games out in the wild card and four or five games out of the division, maybe it's time to do something. No, 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 no. You've got to start making hay now while the sun's up. And I shouldn't even say the sun's up because it's very clearly starting to go down. This is critical mass, really. It it gets to the point where you can't even look at just the division games. The four games against St. Louis coming up become all the more important. But you've got to try to take two from the Phillies this weekend. You've got a home series against a team who, by the way, might be pitching worse than you are right now. If you want to look at post-All-Star break, as far as the worst pitching staffs in the National League, the Pirates aren't the worst. There's the third worst. The second worst is the Phillies. Hmm. So you better hope you can take advantage this weekend with Philly in town because if that continues to happen, you might be able to catch a couple games off of Philly. And if you can do that, then you have St. Louis coming here for four games. So you're going to have to take any opportunity, any small crack of daylight, and really capitalize on it. Do I trust this pitching staff to do that? Probably not. Do I trust this offense to at least give Phillies pitching staff some problems? I do. But can the Pirates pitching staff hold water? I, a lot of, lot of leaks, and uh, there, there's no flex seal left over to try to plug all these up right now. And, and it's, you know, that's not, and that's not a product plug, trust me. But it, it's, for me personally, I, I just do not see how they can manage to hold this thing any tighter for the next two weeks. Like, there are already leaks springing everywhere. If, if another leak springs, that, that ship's going to take on water and it's done. And I, maybe it's fitting to use that analogy since we're talking about a team named the Pirates. But that, that's a boat that's taking on water, and it's taking on water a little bit too fast right now. Flex Seals ad reps, if you're listening, sales reps, if you're listening, hit me up. Cut the check, man. Cut the check. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, overall I agree with you. I'm going to say, though, that seven games with three against the Card- excuse me, four against the Cardinals – and three against the Phillies. I'm, I'm going to wait one more week before I uh, say that it's even close to midnight on the Doomsday Clock for the Pirates. Um, obviously, a lot has is now out of their control, having lost three to the Cubs, um, as far as the division goes anyway. But I'm going to give it a little more time. But I'm with you. The uh, the ship is in trouble. So, I guess... It does- to be fair, yeah. to be fair, I'd feel a lot better about it 
I feel a lot better about it from the standing standpoint. It's not the division standings that bother me because they're what, six and a half games out. We know where they stand. The wild card standings are the part that it should make you feel better. It should be the good news. And it might be the worst news as opposed to the bad news because, yeah, they're four games out of the wild card. But there are literally seven teams above them in the wild card hunt. So that's not the good news to complement the bad news. That's the worst news to complement the bad news. So they, they got a lot of places they got to make up ground in different areas. So, yeah, all seven of these games now become more important from the wild card perspective. Now, if you want to find a reason for optimism and a reason why this, this homestand becomes important, that might be the more, the more important reason why. I'm reminded of the Modest Mouse album, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. It's kind, of, it's kind of what I'm about to about to give on you guys right here. So those, oh, those teams that Josh mentioned, let's just rattle them off real quick. Uh, so I'm going from, uh, let's see, uh, okay, I'll go from the first team out. Right now the Phillies are tied with the Brewers for the second wild card, but I'll just say the Phillies. So you have the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, the San Francisco Giants out of nowhere, uh, Colorado Rockies, the San Diego Padres. These are all teams ahead of the Pirates. Pirates are four games out of the wild card. Um, I'm just going to rattle off some thoughts real quick on those teams. Uh, St. Louis, we kind of see what they are. Great bullpen. Uh, kind of an enigma at times. Uh, Diamondbacks and Rockies fighting for fighting for a wild card because they have no division chances. That might affect how much they actually want to go in this year. Giants, I think I read today, are still committed to selling. So really, all the Pittsburgh has to do is kind of just rate uh what's the word i'm looking for just kind of weather the storm and see yeah, if you can get your up the joint. yeah but it's also incredibly incredibly disheartening to see that the only three teams that the pirates are better at in terms of record right now are the mets reds and marlins three it, it's it's disturbing yeah three franchises that are in much worse shape than pittsburgh that's for sure but listen this kind of dovetails nicely with a report from john Heyman of mlb network and other places that Jordan Lyles is thought to be widely available. So I have two questions from this. Can the Pirates afford to lose him and and anyone else on the pitching staff, for that matter? And can Lyles' trade value be any lower right now? Josh, what do you think? Yeah, if, if I'm hearing that Jordan Lyles is available, my first response is, why? Uh, unless you realize <laughs> that you're not keeping him, he's not a part of your future, and you'd rather just cut bait. But if that's the situation that you're in, if that's the context of it all, what are you really expecting in return? Because, yeah, he's a free agent after this season, and it's not like you're really trying to shed money. It's a $2 million contract. So the prorated end is like, what, 600 k I mean, are, are we really you know, worried about that side of it? I don't think so. Um, if anything, I'm looking at it from the perspective of if you're going to move Jordan Lyles, then what do you plan on doing to replace him? Is it going to be because... You're, you're trying to give Mitch Keller an opportunity? Or are you doing it because you think that there's a, a strong chance that Jameson Tyon will be back and healthy and ready to go in the next few weeks? If that's the case, and you think Jordan Lyles can be moved, then by all means do so. Because you, you tried to run with that experiment as long as it could. It had its peak, and after that it fell off. So if you want to try to do that, fine. But if people out there are expecting a Jordan Lyles trade to bring back any kind of meaningful return, I'm here to tell you, it's Probably not going to be that way, unless it's some kind of J-Hap similar type of trade where the return was that unexpected and that much better than you anticipated that it might be one of those hidden deals that Neil Huntington just wins out of nowhere. I don't expect as much, 
I don't expect them to get that kind of return where it's someone that can help them now or at least help them in the situation that they're in now. So I don't like the prospect of Jordan Lyles being moved. I like the thought of them cutting dead weight if they don't think it helps them, but I don't know if the return will. It definitely won't. It definitely won't. So I think if you make any move with Jordan Lyles, I'm with you. Keep him. Put him in the bullpen. You need a bullpen arm. Lyles flourished with a bullpen in the bullpen with the Milwaukee Brewers last last uh, year. So hey, yeah, let him eat some innings. Let him eat some innings, and then maybe you move a Francisco Liriano, right? Um, that's the only scenario I can, I'm with you. I can, that's the only scenario I can see Lyles being moved for anything of value, and your value will come internally. Uh, just a quick footnote on Lyles: going into his start on May 23rd, he had a 1.97 ERA. And his previous start, he struck out 12 batters. We all thought, fantastic. Look at this signing. What value? Uh, since then, 10.13 ERA. Uh, hitter slugging 651 against him. I'm looking at his fly ball rates, and his fly ball rates from that date forward jumped up to 41.1%, up from 26.1%. So more balls in the air. Maybe the curveball isn't sinking as much. Maybe the changeup isn't being spotted in the right spots. What have you. But I think we've said enough about... How bad he's been? Can't really say it any all, better than that. All I heard was that opponents were slugging six fifty one against him, and my brain almost flatlined. <laughs> you're pretty much you're pretty much turning opposing batters into Cody Bellinger right now. Yes, that that should that should make your mind seize as far as how how bad that's been. Yeah, the Bugs Bunny conga line at the plate gift comes to mind. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. So let's pivot back to the offense for our last little segment here before we take a little break. Uh, so, Judge, we mentioned that Josh Bell has been uh, slumping in July. Uh, so, even factoring in his pre-All-Star break surge where he just went nuts, he's slashing 239 on base at 302 and slugging at 609. But again, this includes both his pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break numbers. Josh, are we seeing him start to sell out for power? Or what is it that you're seeing with him? I think we're seeing kind of a... I hate to say it, him selling out one thing for another, but I think we're kind of seeing a, a I hate to even use the word because it makes it seem like it's something bigger than it is, but maybe kind of a, I shouldn't even call it crisis. I should say maybe a mini dilemma as far as his pitch selection. That's the thing that bothers me because we saw him have a small little dip in June after he went nuts in May. And then pitchers started pitching him differently and we saw a little bit, bit of a gully, if you, can, if you can forgive the term, in June. And then he climbs out of it, and July starts to look a little bit better. And then he gets hot right before the break. And you think, okay, well, maybe he's kind of figured things out. And then post-break, it makes you wonder if he's trying too hard to find the favorable pitch. Is he guessing too much? Is there too much of maybe trying to feel your way through it instead of just trying to find something in the general area or just trying to drive the ball somewhere or looking at it in a certain spot? I'm wondering what his approach is and what's so different that he's trying to do that. Well, I've. G- Josh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, we lost you there for a bit. We're going to leave it in because we have integrity. So the last, the last thing we heard was uh, you weren't sure what he's doing differently. Uh, what, what was your thought there? Um, I, I'm I'm not sure if it's just you know pitches he's looking for. Is 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 he sitting on certain things and not getting them? You know, they're trying to look for the ball in a certain area. I'm, I'm wondering just exactly what his approach is, what he's trying to do, and how much different, how much more different it is from what he was doing before. Because you know, it, it seems like there may be some 
it may seem like he's trying too hard to do some things and maybe not prepared as much to do other things because maybe he's looking for the wrong thing or he's just maybe guessing wrong. But I don't want to call it a crisis, but I will call it maybe a dilemma as far as how he's approaching it right now. I've got some data for you. You ready? All right, let's go. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Uh, I'm writing about this tomorrow for DKPittsburghSports.com. Please check us out. Try us for 99 cents if you like it. Um, so... In July, he's seeing 48.6% of his fastballs in the zone. That's up from 41.2% in June, so you know about 7% more fastballs that are in the zone. But his in-zone swing rate, that's hard to say, in-zone swing rate on those fastballs is down about 10%, 70.6%. It was 80.1% in June. Uh, so my note here says, what the hell? Um, but I have some, I have some details for you. Um, so, also, when he does swing at a fastball in the zone, he's not missing. He's only missing in the zone at 12.5% of those fastballs he does see. And he was actually missing at 21.4% in June. So my next note I'm reading here has all capitals. Why isn't he swinging at these pitches? And I looked at the data. I looked at where they're getting him. And they're not really... It's mostly four-seamers, but they're not really in his spots where he likes. Um, it looks like they are uh, much more in when he's when he's batting a left-handed and a little out when he's batting right-handed. Um, so that's a spot where he didn't didn't historically hit many hard-hit balls. So I think pitchers are just adjusting to him a little bit quicker than he's adjusting to them. Does any of that jive with what you're seeing? It does, actually. It makes a lot of sense to me because it makes me wonder like you said, why is he swinging at certain pitches? And it also kind of reminds me of something that he said in regards to Starling Marte. He talked about Marte being ahead of him in the, in the lineup and trying to get opportunities to steal bases because it means he sees more fastballs. And that's something that stuck out to me when I read it. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why he's not taking advantage of him. That's just when I read that a couple of days ago. Maybe, maybe it was last week when I read that story, in particular about him seeing more fastballs because Marte was ahead of him and, and trying to get opportunities to steal bases. And part of you thought, I wonder why he's not taking advantage of it. And then you tell me, you, you tell me that, and it kind of confirms it for me. So it's like, wait a minute, what have we missed here? And, and what, hasn't, what hasn't been clicking for him? Because it, it really does come down to, if he is seeing more fastballs and just not taking them, there's a lot left to be desired in terms of, taking advantage of that. There's a lot left to be desired in using those opportunities because if you're going to feed that kind of guy fastballs and we know what he can, we, he can do with them, it does make it all the more important to jump on that and, and use that to your advantage when you can. Yeah. And, and just one other note, um, just overall raw numbers, uh, regardless of count, location, sequencing, anything. Um, Josh Bell was whiffing, swinging and missing at breaking balls 16.3% of the time in June. And now, at just about the same percentage, obviously the sample size raw numbers aren't there just yet, but seeing about the same percentage of breaking balls, uh, still around 17%, he's whiffing at 38.9% of those breaking balls. So I think pitchers now have a clear plan. He was crushing breaking balls earlier in the year. Um, looking at it right now, as a matter of fact, an XW, XWOBA of expected WOBA of 551 in June against breakers, now that's down to 242. So I think they're sequencing wow. him a little better. Yeah, it's it's something because he was crushing breaking balls and really being aggressive uh, when he was going through just this monster start to the season. 
So we'll have to see how he bounces back. I mean, how he adjusts back. Before, he would adjust his swing. He'd go into the lab and totally rework it, rework his stance. You know, you've, you've read all the stories same as I have. Now, I'm going to wonder what they do to change his approach, because I really think it's an approach problem. It, this, this smacks of approach problem to me. It just seems like either they're pitching him differently and he didn't anticipate it, or he might just be looking for something and getting something different, and it's starting to add up. But the good news with that is if it's an approach problem, it can be fixed. I'd rather it be an approach problem than it be a mechanical problem, like a swing problem or a vision problem. Those are things that might take a little bit longer. If it's approach, that is something that can be fixed just by training himself and by expecting different things and maybe going over some video and, and studying different things. But the approach problem is a lot more favorable than the alternative right now. Yeah, absolutely. So this feels like a good point in our show to take a break. Uh, let some ads roll. Come right back to you, and we'll play uh, one of our favorite games and, and talk a little more when we come back. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, this is Jason from the BuckoCast, and before we get back into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that we are brought to you by the Pittsburgh Fan. The Pittsburgh Fan is your one-stop shop for officially licensed MLB, NFL, NHL, and NCAA gear right across the street from PNC Park. They always have something unique, always have something kind of off the wall, and all the usual things you expect, hats, shirts, jerseys, jerseys, uh, anything else you can really think of, and they're right across the street, again, from PNC Park, so if you're going to a game... Why not leave just a little bit early? Uh, go over and see what they got. Check them out online at thepittsburghfan.com. You can order from there as well. And follow them on Twitter at thepittfan. The P-I-T-T fan. Okay, we're back on the BuckoCast, and we're going to play one of our favorite games, uh, Which Comes First? Uh, this is where we give you two scenarios, and we kind of figure out which one would happen first. It's, it's, the, it's all right there in the title. So, Josh, which comes first, the Pirates getting to within three games of the wild card or July 31st? Um, I would say getting to within three games of the wild card because it's literally something that can happen tomorrow. So it's just one of those things that, you know, it just happens to be the proximity issue. We talked about all the teams in between them in the top of the wild card standings, but the truth is they're going to face two teams in the next week that are right above them in the wild card standing. So this can easily change pretty quickly, especially if a good weekend happens. A, a five and two weekend probably changes those odds. Do I expect that to happen? Not right now on its surface. But that would be the thing that kind of changes it in that direction. And it would be the weekend that I don't expect them to do well, but they will probably go five and two that weekend. So maybe I should just keep my expectations right where they are. All right. I, I think I'm with you just because it's, uh, it's, it's plausible Maybe not probable, but I'll, I'll say it's plausible. Right, exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's mathematic. It's, it's, um, it's, wonderful. It, it's, theory, it's theoretically plausible, but it's probably not mathematically probable. So here's the next uh, which comes first. So we'll set the stage here real quick before we actually ask it. Chris Archer's given up three straight starts with a home run allowed, at least one. Uh, Williams, Trevor Williams has four straight starts with a home run allowed. Five, if you include the start in which he left early when he injured his side, which I guess you would. So, Josh, which comes first, Trevor Williams or Chris Archer turning in a start without a home run? Um, I will go Trevor Williams just because we're not seeing Trevor Williams at center nervous. We're not seeing him at all things being equal right now. If we see Trevor Williams get closer to all things being equal, 
the guy that we saw over the previous two seasons, then he'd probably be the one to go start with going giving up a home run. Chris Archer, I'm pretty much expecting him every time out. And I, I talked about this, I want to say it was um, on 93.7 The Fan. I said, you know, the last time we saw a guy who was giving up a home run per start and we were this up in arms about it, it was Garrett Cole two years ago. And we didn't like it then, but we came to accept it. And that might be the situation with Chris Archer. You know, it, it's not the ideal, but it's something you're kind of coming to accept. And that's even in light of the fact that he's now gone six innings with three earned runs allowed, which some people don't like for some odd reason. I don't understand why, because it keeps you in the game. And he struck out, what, 20 guys in those two starts combined? That's better than better of a two-game stretch than we've seen all season. So if that's the case, that means he's at least turning a corner. So you'd like to see him go without giving up a home run, but it's starting to become part of the standard procedure for me. So I don't want to say Williams by default, but he was he's the guy that I would expect it from more. I'll say that much. Yeah, good. I, I think I agree, and I'll add that when we're having these kind of conversations with a pitcher that's home run happy, you need to understand the era we live in right now in, in terms of the baseball world. You need to understand that the ball is probably juiced. Even though there's, even though they won't admit it, even though they won't admit it, even though there's conspiracy right. theories galore out there, uh, so let's keep that in context. It, it helps to really put this in perspective. Um, last one, and I'll set the table again. We're going to talk about Kevin Newman, who is currently hitting 331 overall and hitting 347 this month, and Adam Frazier. So we're talking about the Pirates middle infield here, is currently batting 281 for the season, but he is hitting 447 this month. So, Josh, which comes first? Kevin Newman's batting average falling below 320 or Adam Frazier's batting average going over 300? Um, ooh, that's a good one. Uh, I will go with Frazier's going above 300 because I don't see Newman's falling right now, which is a good problem to have. I will say Frazier's going above 300 because the run that he's on, but you and I talked about this, July it's historically the month where he hits the best towards the course of a season in his career. So I expect that to keep going. Plus, Kevin Newman is doing everything above what I expected him to do and more. And him and Brian Reynolds have been two of the most exciting parts of this offense for me. I mean, watching Starley Martin this past week, you know, just hit a ball pretty much over every fence he can find is fun. But Newman and Reynolds had been a ball to watch. And Newman, he was actually my pick. Going into the Cardinals series with Greg and I, Greg Philly and I do our World's Worst Pirates preview on the Sunday morning grind. Kevin Newman was my pick for the guy that the Cardinals should worry about because he's been hitting so well. So I will say Newman stays hot and then Frazier continues to eat up. I'll say Frazier gets over 300 first. I told you not to mention that name. I told you. Greg Finley, <laughs> that name is not to be heard. I'll let this one slide. By the way, uh, is he producing this Sunday? He is. Greg will be there. I guess we should tell people that I'll be in studio finally. We've tried like three or four times uh, in studio yes, with you this Sunday. we're finally going to do this. Yeah. We're finally going to do this. We've been trying to get Jason in studio with us for God, a couple couple seasons now. Yes. Um, we're going to get Jason in studio on Sunday. I believe that is January 20, uh, January, July 21st. <laughs> yeah. Um, during the 10 o'clock hour on 93.7 The Fan, the Sunday morning grind. And we're going to talk baseball for an entire hour. God help us. But we're going to do it. So this is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And at some point, I'm going to go in the producer's booth and kick Greg out and do his job. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the time of the day, he might thank you. You never know. There's a bunch of calls on the board. He might thank you. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure your bosses will be banging down the door 10 minutes into it, I'm sure. 
Uh, uh, they're, they're not listening. They don't okay. listen. They're asleep. <laughs> the one thing we got going. They're not listening Sunday morning. All right. Uh, so we do what we want. Yeah. At least that's what we tell ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's which comes first. That's one of the fun games we play here on the BuckoCast. Another thing we do on the BuckoCast is we constantly reaching out to you guys for your thoughts, your questions, your concerns uh, with our question of the week. Um, you can find us on Twitter. It's where we usually put these out. I'm at J Rolls and PGH. Josh is at, at Josh Taylor HD, Glorious HD. And the show is at the BuckoCast. So you can't miss us, really. But here was the question of the week we had for you uh, this week. And basically it was a simple one. Um, and it's kind of comes off of the back of everyone seemingly, or a lot of people, seemingly criticizing Stardew Marte for lack of effort on the base paths, sometimes in the field, etc., etc. So my question to you, our question to you was, overall, are you satisfied with the effort, not the results, because I know I know you're not satisfied with those, but the effort of your club this season? Got a couple of interesting responses. Uh, our boy Gary says, how could you not be? I'll not take the bait and call the mm. overall effort into question, due to one player's occasional lapses. Effort is not the issue with this club. Another one of our followers, Mike in Illinois, uh, said, overall, the effort is fine. The problem is this was a 500-ish team before the season started. They just aren't good enough. And I'll read you one more, Josh, then we'll get into it. Um, uh, Tony, Tony C., friend of mine on Facebook, I put the question there as well sometimes, uh, said, I don't know how anyone can question the effort. This team fights and fights and fights until the very last uh, strike. Um... Josh, what's your, what's your take on just the overall effort of the club, really? Those guys nailed it, especially Tony with the, the fighting to the last strike. Tony's absolutely right. That's the thing that surprises me, I think, more than the record. It's like, okay, this team is 45 and 50, but what would the record be without all the comebacks that, they, that they've had? What would it be without you know, some of these dramatic games that they've had? And not to mention the fact, how many more losses, would, how many fewer losses would they have if a couple of these comebacks actually ended in wins as opposed to falling short? because the bullpen couldn't hold it. Like, this is something else that sticks out, and, you know, that's beside the fact that this team is 13 and 15 in one-run games. That's another thing. You know, it, it, all really, it all really adds up to just how much of this, how much better could this team be if a couple of those comebacks hold up, if a couple of games where the bullpen doesn't fall apart, if you could have consistent, solid, uh, consistent solid starting pitching that takes you past the fifth or sixth inning to hold a lead. That makes you think even more about it because everything else is pretty much there that you're looking for. The effort is there. I think the intent is there. You can make the argument that the talent probably is. And if you want to make that argument, I'll have that conversation with you because I don't think you're wrong. But there is this thing where people kind of mistake a lack of result for a lack of effort, and that's not the same thing. And the people that tend to do that are the ones probably who have unrealistic expectations to begin with. But I think a lot of people are probably surprised at how this team just continues to fight. We, we talked about this a few weeks back. We were talking about the turning point in the season after that Detroit game when Trevor Williams said, you know, the pitching staff, we love the fact that these guys fight every single game because whether we pitch well or we don't and they pick us up, it still keeps us in it. And, you know, when you're a pitcher and you have that kind of group around you that's not going to rule themselves out of any game, it does give you a bit of a shot in the arm. And plus, as a team, you, you start believing you're capable of doing things that you probably don't do. And sometimes that's the difference between completing a task and not completing it, is whether or not you just believe you can do it. Yeah, I, I can't find fault with anything that you said there. Um, one thing I'll add is that it kind of reminds me of the need sometimes to remind people to 
step outside of the pirate's bubble just a little bit because I guarantee you that there is someone like Amarte on every team who will occasionally, and yes, he admit, he's admitted this before, uh, give less than the effort you would like to see on the base pass running out of grounder. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Get out of your pirate's bubble and understand that this guy is doing things at the plate, at the dish with the bat that he's never done before. By that I mean, yes, he had 20 home runs last year on a pace to smash that this year, but also hitting more in more areas of the plate. I looked at this a couple yeah. days ago. His MO was you have to pitch him in certain spots for him to be effective. Now he's expanding his strike zone in a good way, uh, still maintaining excellent strikeout rates, by the way. Never had a, mm-hmm. a strikeout rate above 20%. For the last six year, five years now, so you know, get off his back, get out of the pirates' bubble, and understand that it's not as bad as people are making it out to be. I saw Joe Starkey wrote a great column about you know people saying that you know Marte's effort hasn't been great, and in some cases it hasn't. And Joe concedes that he goes, "Yeah, you know what? There's some times when his effort hasn't been great, but he's also not alone." He brought up examples of opponents versus the Pirates that didn't have great effort, and then he brought up a couple of examples of his own teammates. He brought Ray Dickerson in this Cardinal series, which I think is a very good example. I think maybe people don't press it as much because we don't expect to see it from Corey Dickerson, but that does not mean it shouldn't be acknowledged because it should. And I thought, um, I can't remember if it was John Wayne or Bob Walk that mentioned him. It's just like, wow, you know, can't believe he did that. And I think it was Bob Walk that said, that's about as bad as anything Marte did. And he's right. So, if you're looking at it as just Marte, you've got to dial it back here because he's not the only guy that has that particular issue. You're going to sit across it more often than you want, more often than you're willing to admit. But the question is, are you paying attention to starting Marte just because it's him and expecting it to happen? Yes. Or are you just really looking at it on a grander scale? Because I think if you're looking at it on a grand scale, there's some names being left off the list. I'll say that much. Yep. So once again, thank you guys for chiming in on our question of the week. Uh, again, please look for us on Twitter. We'd love to interact with you and have you guys be part of the show. Uh, one of our newer segments now is called One Last Thing, where Josh and I say one last thing. Um, so I'll start this week. It's just a 15, 30-second parting shot from us. That's a wrap up here tonight. Um, so, one last thing. Gregory Polanco's season is over. Uh, there is no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Rehab assignment stopped. Soreness in the shoulder. Granted, and thankfully for him, and for anyone who just likes to watch the guy play, it's more related to scar tissue than anything mechanical in the shoulder. All the all the kudos in the world to him for working so hard over the offseason to come back early. Uh, you saw all the Instagram videos of the workouts. You heard all the stories. Um, but this season for him is a lost one. Hate to see people giving up on him, saying go ahead and trade him, get what you can, like he's to be discarded. The changes we saw last year in the second half are real enough for me I want to see what he does when he's uh, had a full and healthy spring training to get started for the season. So that's my one last thing. What about you, Josh? One last thing. I have a question I have to ask to a lot of people that tend to bait their criticism of the Pirates on things that are happening around uh, or happening around them and using the Pirates as a gauge for the rest of baseball. And I have to ask you the question, do you watch baseball or do you watch the Pirates? Because if you watch the Pirates, you're going to look at how many games are out of first place and look at the record and say, oh, this team's been terrible. They're one of the worst uh, teams in Major League Baseball. And I'm going to have to remind you that if you look around baseball, if they had their record in any other division, they would be pretty much out of the race right now. Does that absolve them of any of their woes? 
Absolutely not. But when we're talking about what this team has or has not been in relation to what is going on around the game, the one thing we can actually look at have some semblance of, if nothing else, appreciation for, especially when we're talking about the effort this team has given. <clears throat> I talked about this before the season started. There were maybe eight teams before the season that I thought were legit World Series contenders. As I look at it now, I think there's probably six, and four of them are in the National League. Dodgers, Cubs, Brewers, Braves. Those are the four. American League, it's just the Yankees in, in Houston for me. Tampa, if you want to add a third in the American League, I'll add Tampa as a third. I'm not sold on Minnesota yet because they're going to have to get more pitching to get through the playoffs because they got some really good teams we'll have to face in the playoffs. But as far as legit World Series contenders, I'll say six, maybe seven. So when we're talking about that, that's less than a third of the league. So we've we got to keep ourselves in a little bit more of a realistic mindset here, understanding the fact that, yes, this team is not one of the seven teams that I mentioned, but they're probably not one of the bottom ten teams either that have no hope whatsoever. Now, if you want to throw out the theory that them being in the middle is the worst possible thing, a la Bill Simmons, now you're getting on the right track. <laughs> this is a team that's pretty much in the middle. And if you agree with Bill Simmons' theory that being in the middle is the worst thing you can be because From if you're the team in last place, you can either get draft picks or you have cap space to move up or at least, in this case, revenue space or, or you know payroll space to open up. If you're at a top team, you make a move or two, you're still in it. But if you're in the middle, you're going to have to do one kind of big swing one way or another. And you'd like to hope that the big swing is one way, but most people are expecting it to be the other way. Now, I'm not trying to make a Marlowe Stanfield wire reference. But the point of the matter is this. <laughs> when you try to look at this team in terms of what they are or what they aren't, I have to remind you of this question. Are you watching the Pirates or are you watching baseball? Because if you watch baseball, this team is probably not as bad as you think. It could easily be better, and I won't disagree with that. I just spent the last, what, 40 minutes talking about how terrible the pitching's been. So, of course, they can be better, but they can be a lot, a lot worse. That'll do it for this week on the BuckoCast with that fire from Josh Taylor. Um, listen, uh, we always want you guys to subscribe to our show if you haven't already. That's always the best way to uh, hear our show. You'll get the episodes automatically. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, iHeartRadio, whatever else. Um, and because you're a subscriber, perhaps you'll hear this uh, before anyone else. Uh, tomorrow I'll be interviewing Joe Manganello, actor, uh, has a baseball movie coming out called Bottom of the Ninth, and of course he's a Pittsburgh fan through and through, also Pittsburgh's really hometown boy. So we're going to talk to That's him. That's super big time. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. It's fun. Awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And uh, so we'll have that as a bonus episode for you tomorrow, and you'll get it first because you're a subscriber. Isn't that fun? And also, this is the most interesting my wife has ever been in our podcast, by the way, when I told her I'd have him tomorrow. <laughs> so will mine. So will mine. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us, yep. but we're going to get out of here on that note. Josh, thanks very much. We'll talk to you next week. All right, brother. Talk to you soon.